So Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Here we go. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I told you, that's hard, isn't it? Huh? All those words, they tend to jumble up. Okay, we're going to ask God's help, all right? Father, we pray for your help in understanding this passage and in mining out of it the great truths that you have put in it. God, uh, I pray that your spirit would be the teacher this morning as we look into this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the cool things about living in the time that we do, 2015, right? So we're looking at, I don't know, what is it, 7,000 years of human history, okay? And we stand on the backs of all of that progress. I mean, isn't it a wonderful thing that every generation doesn't have to reinvent the light bulb? Isn't that great? You know, I mean, we, we, like, we don't start over, you know? Uh, we, we, we stand on the progress of the advancements made of the, of the people over the last thousands of years, okay? And so, so you, you've got artistic and educational and scientific and technological advances of 6,000 years, you know? I mean, we have libraries and books and writings and art and, and all of that that we are the benefit of. And where does that get us? Well, man, it got you today to an air-conditioned, heated facility, all right? It got you today in an automobile that you didn't have to walk here. You didn't ride your mule, I don't think, anyway. I think everybody came in a car. And, and where has it got us morally, you know? All of a sudden, it doesn't make sense, right? We've made all these advances in technology and art and culture, but where are we after thousands of years of human history? Well, open up your newspaper. People board planes with bombs that they might kill hundreds of people. Unstable dictators seize power and slaughter thousands of people. World wars, many of you were a part of, Leave hundreds of thousands dead in trenches. Drunk drivers kill carloads of families. Gunmen execute children in their own school classrooms. Cancer ravages the human body. Tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes devastate communities. Divorce, domestic violence, human trafficking. They're not on the decline. They're on the incline. Corruption and abuse of power in governmental offices is so frequent that people simply expect it to happen. 20 to 25 million, we talked about this last week, are left orphans in one country, India alone. 100 
129 people are left dead in Paris this week simply to evoke terror on the world. Now, here's the question I ask you. Why haven't we got that fixed, right? Like, like if, if, we, if, 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 human, if humanity is evolving, right? If, if, we're, if, we're, if we're growing in all these advancements, if we are standing on the shoulders of thousands of years of, of all this advance, then why aren't we advancing morally? Why isn't that happening? Well, that's not happening because Paul just told us here. Ready? Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sin. All right. Now, are you ready? Uh, in your little theological dictionary, I want you to write this. All right. In your mind, original sin. Okay. That's a word. That's a phrase you need to remember. Original sin. Okay. Now, what original sin is, is talking about is what Paul is describing here. What Paul is describing is, is that people are already fallen when they're born. Okay. A long time ago, and we'll look at this here in just a minute, but a long time ago, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see the fall of mankind. And when that happened, you all fell with Adam. Okay, that's the case that Paul's going to make. So when a baby is born, we've had babies born here recently, right? Uh, I see some in the congregation. When a baby's born, you're, you're tempted to hold that baby and you say, man, this baby is pure and innocent, right? And, and in one way they are, right? In one way they have not had opportunity to show who they really are yet, right? And so, so in one way they are. But in another way, in a more deep and theological and mysterious way, that child fell long ago, thousands of years ago, that child fell into sin already okay and so that's the mystery that we're going to be unpacking today in romans chapter 5 is the mystery of original sin okay so here's what i want you to do okay take your bibles we're in romans 5 you might keep a bookmark there keep your pen there keep your little finger there whatever you want to use and go to genesis 3 okay go to genesis 3 so go back in the bible and we're going to look at genesis 3 we're going to see how all this happened okay let me give you a summary of genesis 1 and 2 genesis 1 and 2 are the creation narratives and in those creation narratives god speaks into existence all this is and after 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 over and over after after he creates here's what god says it is good Okay, it is good. Did you hear that? So in other words, God didn't create junk, all right? God creates things that are good, that are satisfying, that are, are pleasing, that are beneficial, that are great, okay? So God creates all this, this, this magnificent world, and he says over and over again, it is good, 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 okay? And then he creates man, the crown of his, his creation, and man is the recipient of all this good. All right, and so Genesis 1 and 2 make it clear what God has created is good, and man now gets to enjoy. That, that's, the, that's the fate of mankind. We were supposed to get to enjoy all the goodness of God, all the goodness of what he had made. And all man had to do was this, trust him, just trust him. God made all this and said it's all good, and there's, there's one thing, one command, Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God creates all of this good command, all this good creation. He says it's good. And then he gives mankind one command. Don't eat of the tree, lest you die. Now what's man got to do? Man just simply has to trust God. He's got to trust that God's made a good world. God has made all that he needs to enjoy and to be satisfied. 
Now enter Genesis chapter 3 and enter the character of the serpent, okay? Now I know that the, the word Satan or the word, the word devil is not in your Bible in Genesis chapter 3, but if you go all the way into Revelation, you, you see very clearly that the serpent is the devil, okay? And so right here in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, when we read about the serpent, we're reading about the devil, okay? Now Satan only has one objective here in Genesis chapter 3, and that one objective is simply this, plant a seed of doubt in Adam and Eve's mind that God is really what they need, that God is really good, that God really brings good things, okay? Now, that, that's, his, that's his whole objective, because mankind is going to live in harmony with God as long as they trust him, okay? As long as they trust him. But here's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to say, no, 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 God is holding back something good from you. You can't trust him. You'll miss out on the really good stuff if you trust God. That's essentially Satan's plan. And so he begins in verse 1. He begins with Eve. He says to the woman in verse 1, God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. Now, now Satan is using a tactic he uses today. It's called exaggerating God's commands to make them look oppressive. Okay? He, he exaggerates God's commands. He makes them look like they're something they're really not. Okay? God had made this incredible good creation of a garden. And it's everything Adam and Eve need to enjoy forever and ever, to be totally satisfied and fulfilled. But now the serpent's saying, oh, man, God has really put it to you guys, hasn't he? We're trying to teach our little guy one, one big rule about outside. You don't go in the street. It's going to be a while. He's got to have a hard time because our driveway is sloped. He loves to throw a ball. He loves to throw a ball more than anything else. That's kind of his favorite thing. And so he's learned that the, the, the driveway is sloped. And so if he throws the ball down the driveway, it will grow all the way down the driveway. It'll grow across the street. And it'll go, actually go up in the other person's driveway across the street, okay? And he loves it. And he wants to chase after him to get the ball to do it again, right? And so we've had to learn over and over again. You know, hey, no, no, no. He gets down there, take him, pull him back. You don't get across the street. You don't go get, a, get, a, go get the ball. Somebody else gets the ball. You guys stay in our yard over and over and over again. Someday he's going to have a friend. Hey, maybe he'll have two friends, okay? And maybe the one friend will say this. Your parents, I can't believe they won't let you even play in your front yard by yourself. Man, what kind of wicked people are they? You must be a pastor's kid, you know? I mean, they're going to say something like that, right? And then hopefully he'll have another friend. Hopefully that friend will say something like this. Man, your dad really loves you. He doesn't want you to get squashed by a truck, you know? And, and so he, he's put some boundaries to keep you safe. Now, we're both talking about the same event, aren't we? We're both talking about the same rule. We're both talking about the same command. But you see, on the one, it's exaggerated to make it sound like we don't really love him. We don't really want what's good for him. And the other, it's, it's spoken as truth. Here's, here's why we're doing this. That's all the devil is essentially doing here. He is essentially simply planting doubt in Adam and Eve's mind. And he's still doing that to you today. He's still doing that to you. He's still trying to convince you that following God's path, that following Jesus is not the best thing, that there's better things out there. Well, the damage is done. Eve knows that he spoke wrongly. She corrects him. But when she corrects him, you'll notice that she exaggerates God's command as well. The damage has been done. The seed's been planted. Look at verse 3. But God said, you, will not, you shall not eat of the fruit, fruit of the tree. Eve is quoting God here. That's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. See, Eve's already exaggerating the command of God. Lest you die. The damage has been done. She, she, she's, she's seeing God in a new light. And so verse 4, Satan goes in for the kill here. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now what is, what is he doing now? He's completely contradicting God, right? Essentially what he's doing is saying, you know what, God? God has misspoke. What God said to you doesn't apply to you. 
We could say it that way. How many times do you hear that today? How many times do people who know the command of God, they know the truth of God, but, but in their circumstance, they're like, well, but for me, it's different. You know, it, it, my, my, my situation is an exception. And that's what Eve thought. Sin won't really have consequences. What God's word won't really happen. I can get away with not following God. The serpent tells her in verse 5, your eyes will be opened, Eve. You'll be like God. He's catering to her pride here. Doesn't sin usually cater to our pride? Man, you'll be made much of. You'll you'll, you'll be your own boss. You'll be enlightened. You'll, You'll know new things, experience glorious things. And then in verse 6, how many times, I wonder, had she walked by that tree prior to this? I don't know. You know, it doesn't tell us how long she lived there before this happened. But I, I, let's just say she'd walked past it a hundred times. And every time she took a wide berth because God had told her, no, no, don't, don't go, don't eat of that tree, you know, lest, lest you die. But all of a sudden, you see how sin changes on the inside? All of a sudden she sees a tree in, new, in a new light. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, see, it appeals to her flesh. And that it was a delight to the eyes, it appeals to her visually. That the tree was to be desired to make one wise, it appeals to her pride. All of a sudden, it looks different. And so in that moment, verse 6, she took, she ate, she gave it to her husband, and he ate. And at that moment in time, something earth-shattering, universe-altering happened. And what we call it is the fall. Okay, go back in your theological dictionary. Okay, you got original sin. That's the, the term we talked about before. Now you have a phrase called the fall. Now what do we mean by the fall? We mean what just happened to Adam and Eve is called the fall because at that moment in time, things changed for Adam and Eve. In fact, better, better yet, it's better to say they changed, okay? They changed. The world changed. Everything changed. And in some mysterious way, and this is what's going to be a mind bender for us today, you changed, Okay? You got that? <clears throat> See, why are we going to struggle with that? We're going to struggle with that because I was born in 1972, right? This is a long time before that. So how did I change there thousands of years ago? Well, that's what Paul is teaching us today. And so, so let, let's, let's unpack that. So how, how did things change for them? Well, if you look at verse 7 and 8 and the following verses there, in verse 7 their eyes are open, but not in a good way. All of a sudden now they know they're naked. All of a sudden now they feel shame. Can you imagine never having felt shame before? Never having felt guilt? Never having felt embarrassed? Never having felt, you know, uh, guilt-ridden? What did I do? Okay, now all of a sudden they feel that. Now all of a sudden they don't want to be around God. Wow, that's a biggie. Before they walked with God, now they, they, they hide from God. Okay, they're, they're spiritually dead. There's a separation between them and God now. Ephesians 2.1 says that we are spiritually dead. We're born that way. Adam and Eve died right there spiritually. God had told them the truth. They would die, and they died spiritually. And now they're going to die physically. They begin the process of dying physically. And without a Savior, they're going to die eternally. That's Revelation 2.21.8, the second death. Things change between the two of them. We have to assume that before this there was no sin, so there's no conflict. There's no, there was no marital uh, uprisings in them, okay? But now all of a sudden there's suspicion and competition. There's blame. That comes quickly. Now all of a sudden when Adam comes before God, he says, that lady, that, that lady, God, you had one shot to give me a good wife. What did you do here, you know? This is on you. You gave me this gal. Now, now there's, there's strife between them. Things change in their body. Before Eve, the crowning of her, of her, of her life was she was going to have children and propagate the earth. But now all that's going to be riddled with pain. 
Their, their bodies would begin to break down and disease would happen. Things would change in their world. God told Adam, you know, your fulfillment's going to come through your work, but now everything's going to work against you. Do you wonder, mechanics, why, why you diagnose a problem in the car and, and you try to fix it and something else breaks? Farmers, you ever, ever know why you plant your crop and weeds grow and the frost comes and the drought comes? It's because of the fall. Our world is now broken. In fact, here in just a little bit, we're going to look in uh, Romans chapter 8 here in a few months. In Romans chapter 8, it talks about how creation, let me read verse 22. We know that the whole creation's been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Earlier in that passage, if you start reading in verse 19, it talks about the futility of, of creation now. It's corrupting, it's decaying. Our world is broken, okay? All of this is happening in the fall, okay? Everything fell when Adam and Eve sinned. Now, specifically, when Adam sinned. Now, now you're, you're thinking, well, hold on. Let me just think about what you just said. You just read us Genesis 3. Eve was the one who took the fruit first, right? She was the one that did it. She gave it to her husband, right? Men everywhere for thousands of years have been bringing that up. You know, hey, you know, Eve, come on, right? I mean, ladies, all right? But here's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't deny that that's the truth. In, in fact, 1 Timothy tells us Eve was deceived first. Okay, it does tell us that. But isn't it interesting that every time it refers to the fall, it's the sin of Adam. Now, why is it the sin of Adam? Well, let me give you two reasons. One is a theological one, one is a practical one, okay? First of all, the theological reason is simply this. In the Bible, the fall, the passing of depravity comes through the man. Here, here, this is a rabbit trail, but it's an important one. Why is it so important that Jesus is born of a virgin? Huh? I mean, he's, he's born of a, of a woman, and, and despite what past theology, Catholic theology has said, she was not sinless. She, she was a sinner, okay? So, so Jesus is born of Mary, who is a sinner. So why doesn't he have this brokenness? Because who is his biological dad? The Holy Spirit. You see, that's why the virgin birth is so incredible, incredibly important. It, it's because Jesus is born of a virgin. He does not have the taint of sin, the brokenness of sin. He is the second Adam, okay? You had the first Adam who ruined it. Now you have the second Adam who's going to rescue us. All right, so that's, that's the, the theological reason. Now, let me give you a practical reason. Well, the practical reason is that Adam is responsible, just as men are today, for their families. Isn't it interesting? Well, who, who does the command come to? Let's, let's walk through some things here. Genesis 2.16 says, And the Lord God commanded who? The man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God gave the command to the man. The man was to pass that on, to, to, to care for his family spiritually. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when this is all happening, where is Adam at? Verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was, uh, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also to some to her husband who was, where is this guy at? Was he out in the field planting? Was he out um, watching sports? Where was he? He was with her. Okay, you see that? Her husband who was with her, and he ate. Okay, several verses later in verse 9, when God comes after the couple, he knows they've sinned. He knows what happened. He knows everything he saw and happened. And when he comes after them in verse 9, it says, but the Lord God called to the man. 
okay? Now, this is what the Bible will later refer to as headship, okay? There's a great passage in 1 Corinthians 11 about it. We're going to look at the one in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, a lot of men have tried to make that all about privilege and all about, you know, being the leader, okay? Now, let me tell you, really, from a biblical standpoint, it is about responsibility, Okay, it's about responsibility. Adam was responsible for his family. Okay, he was responsible this to not be passive. Okay, what should Adam have done? Man, this was the time for him to get the shovel out of the back of the truck and take care of the snake. That's what should have happened. This was a time for Adam to stop his wife and say, hey, we need to pray about this. Hey, honey, we need to go to the word of God. We need to think about what God said. We need to think about what God's done. We need to think about his character. Adam didn't do any of that. What did Adam do? Nothing. Nothing. He was passive in his family. Okay? So, so, so headship, now, now just to stop you, everybody always wants to go too far with this. D- does this mean that I'm responsible for everything that Emma does? That if she sins, it's on me? No. Now, now sometimes I probably am responsible. Sometimes if I don't lead her well, if I don't lead my family well, if, if I don't treat her as Christ has treated the church, then it may be on me, Okay. Parents, are we responsible for everything our children do for the rest of their life? No, no, I don't think so. Are we responsible, though, not to be passive? Are we responsible to raise them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord? Yes, okay? And and so there's a responsibility here not to be passive. And so the sin is on Adam, both for theological and practical reasons. When Adam falls, we all fall. All right, I want you to put a picture in your mind. I, I wish, and I'm sorry I didn't get this together. I wish I would have drawn, shown you my artwork, okay? But you, get, you just do this on your bulletin or you do it in your mind, okay? So I want you to, to, to write mankind, okay? And then circle it, all right? And then draw a chain. Like, I think of it as a chain, like a tether, like an unbreakable line, whatever that is. Chain is the best thing I can think of. So draw a chain from mankind, okay? And then draw Adam, Okay, and then around his ankle is, is a shackle, okay? So, so all of mankind is shackled to Adam. So when Adam sins, here, here's what Paul is telling us. When Adam sins, he pulls everybody over the cliff, okay? Everybody, all mankind, at that moment falls, all right? Now, Paul is setting us up to see, draw another picture here. This time, draw a picture of mankind down here because we fell into sin, death, and the grave. So you got mankind, circle it, okay? Draw another chain. Okay, no, that, that's not a, that's a bad picture. Erase that. You erase it? <laughs> right? All who believe. That's better. All who believe, okay? Circle that. All who believe. And now draw a chain, okay? And, and then draw Jesus and, and shackle it to his, his ankle, okay? See, all who believe will be pulled to glory through Jesus, so through one man, we plunged into destiny in the grave. And through one man, Jesus Christ, will be pulled to glory for those who believe. That's Paul's setting up of this passage. It's him showing you how we are justified in Jesus Christ. Now, there's mystery here. I, I, I get that. I, I don't know all the answers to that. You know, I, I know probably some of your hearts, your question is, man, how are we guilty? How are we guilty for some guy's sin thousands of years ago? Okay, that's not fair. You know what's interesting about that's not fair? Everybody always wants to that's not fair on that side of it. 
But when you walk over to the other side of the picture and you talk about how we can be made righteous by Jesus' righteousness, right? That his righteousness can be put into our account. We've done nothing to deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. We couldn't do anything. And yet we're pulled to glory by Jesus. Nobody ever says that's not fair. You know, everybody's always like, yeah, that, that's awesome, right? And, and, and so that, that's the way it works, okay? Now, now, a few things here, okay? First of all, if you believe the Bible then you must believe in a literal Adam. Okay, now, now again, we're, we're taking a bunch of asides here. Uh, I've got to do that today because this is a tough passage. Okay, but the, I don't know where all of you are at on your view of creation, okay? Some of you may be young earth people, old earth people, and there may be a variety of people and just how, how you've worked all that out in your head. But let me just tell you this, okay? Whatever you work out in your head, if you don't have a literal Adam, okay, your view is gone, Okay, I, I, I reject it. We, we reject it. There's got to be a literal Adam. Why does there got to be a literal Adam? In other words, you can't have this evolution thing, you know, that you were an amoeba in a pool of murky water and you became a tadpole and the tadpole became a frog and you became a lizard and I don't know where it all goes. Sooner or later, you, got, you became a monkey and for over thousands of millions of billions of years, you became a human, you know, and we think some of you are still in the monkey stage. But anyway, you made it all the way to human and now, you know, okay, it, where... Okay, this whole thing breaks apart. You see that? I mean, all of, the, all of the theology of justification by faith is built upon, in Romans 5, one man plunging us all into sin, and one man, Jesus Christ, lifting all who believe to glory. And so, so you're dependent on here, on a literal Adam, God creating a man, the first man, who would sin in Genesis 3. And plunge us all into death and the grave. One act. Now, look at verse 12. Let me answer another question here. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. And then look at this last phrase, because all sin. A lot of people struggle with that last phrase, because all sin. Now, there's, there's several views. Let me give you the two chief ones, okay? The first one is this, that when he says, because all sin, he's talking about our personal sin, Right? And so you have two layers here. You have our original sin, right? Adam plunged us all into guilt and death. And then you have, we've all sinned, right? We've all been angry when we shouldn't have been angry. We've all been lustful when we shouldn't have been lustful. We've all been prideful when we shouldn't have been prideful. We've all given glory to other things. We've all had idols in our life instead of worshiping God. Now, I believe that's totally true, okay? Listen, you don't need to, you don't need to convince me that you've sinned, okay? I, I believe it, all right? I've seen it, all right? Well, we, you've seen mine, right? We're, we're all on the same page. The Bible is completely... Agreeing with that. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I think when he says when all sin, I don't think he's talking about our personal sin. He's not denying it. He says that in Romans 3. Okay, it's, it's full of that. Our personal responsibility in that we've all sinned. But I think what he's saying here in Romans 5 is something much more deep. It's, it's saying this. When Adam sinned, you sinned. When Adam fell, you fell. Like, like you, something actually happened to you. All right, now here comes the mind bender stuff, okay? This would be fun for your small group. How's that possible? You, 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 didn't, you weren't created yet, right? Well, here's where things get interesting, okay? Let me show you this example in, in Hebrews 7. I'm gonna try to do this better than I did in the 830 service. I think it did it better than 945. In the 830 service, I got done explaining it at all. And I said, does that make sense? And there's a lady in the back, she's like, no, why would you? You know, and so I'm gonna try to do it a little different, okay? So, so in your Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, there's this strange uh, story about Abraham running into this guy named Melchizedek, okay? 
Abraham Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, we don't know where he's from. We don't know where his lineage is. We don't know anything about him in that except he's a king, okay? He's a king. And then Abraham does a strange thing. Abraham gives him 10% of all that he has. Now, let me tell you why that's strange. It's strange because Abraham is tithing and nobody's ever told him to tithe. Okay, nobody's ever told him that doesn't come till way later. Okay, get your chronology right. Okay, Adam, you know, boom, 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 Abraham, right? Jacob, I, uh, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel, boom, 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 Egypt, Moses. And here's where all the law comes, right? So Abraham's way before that. And yet he's tithing. Why is he tithing to this guy named Melchizedek? Now, Hebrews 7, the writer of Hebrews is going to make the case that Jesus is from the priestly line. Okay, now the priestly line, I've already lost you, haven't I? Ah, damn. This is good. If you think, Okay, the priestly line is through Levi. Okay, Levi's down here with Moses. Okay? And, and, and so how can, how can Melchizedek, he, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is a priest by the order of Melchizedek. Well, how can Melchizedek be a priest if, if he's way before? Like Levi doesn't happen to way down here. Hundreds of years later. Here's the answer. All right? You'll have a great time with this today. I know you're going to. Hebrews, Hebrews 7. Verse 8. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, why, he, he gets tithes, right? Because he's a priest. He's, he's the priestly line. Paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Did you get it? He's saying, Levi, who's hundreds of years later than Abraham, he tithed to Melchizedek because he was in the loins of his father Abraham. Okay, now you're going, what does this have to do with Romans 5? Do you see my point? From a biblical standpoint, we're all in Adam. That's, that's my point. We're all in, like, like, like he's saying Levi was in Abraham, okay? So he tithed in a way to Melchizedek because he was in the loins of Abraham. Okay, so if, if, if Levi was in the loins of Abraham, then all of us were in Adam, all right? And, and, and so the point he's making here is that when Adam fell, we all fell. We all fell. In some mysterious way, you're, 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 you know, Jesus, you know, Ephesians says that he knew you from eternity past. Okay? And, and so this type in imagery, this, this Jesus is a type, or Adam is a type with Jesus. That's all comparison, contrast, okay? And, and, and he's saying here, Adam drags all of humanity into sin and death and hell. And when Adam fell, you fell. Jesus pulls all those who believe to the glories of heaven. It's imputed death and imputed righteousness. Look at verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay, now what's that about? Well, what, what he's saying there is, is simply this. When did the law come? Moses, right? Moses is the one who gave the law. When, when you have the law, now you're guilty as a lawbreaker, right? If you, you break the law, and every one of you have, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you've all blown that, right? Um, that's why I have no other gods before me. You've all broken that. 
right? Okay, and, and so we're all lawbreakers, and so we're condemned as such. But he's saying, well, what about those people from Adam to Moses? What about the pe- all those people that live from the beginning of time, from the first man, all the way until Moses when the law was given? What about those guys? And he says this, they still died. Why'd they die? Well, some of you are going to say, well, they were sinners. That's true. You know, there's no argument for me about that, man. Have you read the passage about Noah? I mean, these guys were bad sinners, okay? They were wicked. They were just as wicked as our world today. But that's not why they died, not according to Paul. Paul says they died because of original sin. They died because Adam had already pulled him off the cliff when he fell. Now, this has lots of implications. First of all, you know how we're wired? We're wired to think of ourselves as either better or worse than other people. Isn't that, isn't that true? Come on, it is. We do that all the time. We think of ourselves as either better or worse than others but based on what? Our works, right? And so some people were like, oh man, that person, they're so good. They'll become a Christian. Or maybe they already are just because they're so good, you know? And we look at somebody else and we're like, man, that guy will never become a Christian. They're so horrible, man. They've got such a long way to go. You know, you know the way the Bible looks at it? The Bible looks at it. You're all, we are all equally doomed in Adam. And we all equally can be saved in Jesus. You see, Adam pulls us all over, but Jesus can pull us all up. That, that, that's Paul's point here. It's not, it's not about works, okay? It's about who you're connected to. Are you connected to Jesus Christ? Man, original sin is something to get your head around. Yeah, sometimes we, we, we underestimate our brokenness in Adam. Listen, guys, I, I don't have to try to be selfish. You know, when, when my wife, you know, upsets me, I don't have to say, all right, that's it. I'm going to start being selfish, you know. I mean, it's, it's already happening, all right. I, I've got to employ all of my spiritual strength not to be selfish. I have to employ all my spiritual strength to put my eyes on Jesus because my natural bent is towards sin. I mean, that, that, that's, that's true. By nature, we exalt ourselves. By nature, we're greedy and self-seeking and demanding and manipulative and always angling to get our own way. It's so natural that we fool ourselves. Here's where you got to be really careful. If it were not for the Word of God, the example of Jesus, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I would still think I was a good person. I, I, I'm telling you, I cruised through 18 years of my life And it did not matter what sin I was in. I genuinely thought I'm a good person. I genuinely thought that. I mean, it was the the word of God and the example of Jesus and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that finally knocked me out of that. Because we're all so broken that we don't even see our sin. This doctrine ought to put some humility in us. Some self-doubt. You know when you're so angry because you, you feel you're right and everybody else is wrong? That's at the exact point that you ought to come to your knees and open the Word of God and make sure that you're not just living out your Adam in you, okay? It ought to bring some compassion. It, it ought to help us understand how, how real our union with Jesus is. That's part of where Paul's going to go. Next week, next week we open up to Romans 6. It's going to be easier, I promise, okay? So don't leave me, all right? So come back. Don't give up. So ne- next week, 
Paul's going to go into how we're joined to Jesus and, and how his death is our death. And his resurrection is literally our resurrection. When he was raised from the dead, you, there's a lot of people that don't celebrate Easter like they ought to celebrate Easter. And it's because they don't really get, man, I'm raised from the dead. They're thinking, well, I haven't died yet. But no, when Jesus was raised, if you're, if you're a believer, if you're shackled to him, you were raised. It's already happened. Okay, and see, all that is connected to understanding we were connected to Adam. When he fell, we fell. And now if you are by faith connected to Jesus, you can be raised much more. I, a couple things here. I know we're, we're late on time, but it wasn't my fault. It was Gary's fault. He took too much time. <laughs> much more. Verse 15, say, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more. Okay, notice in verse 17, if, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, that's, that's true, death has reigned, it's ruled through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Okay, let, let me summarize what he's saying there. If in your mind, your, your picture is, is that Adam fell, and when he did, he pulled us all 100 miles into death. That's a pretty good picture. But if you take that picture, here's the comparison. Here's what Paul's doing. Here's how he's comparing Jesus. He's saying when Jesus lived a righteous life and died a substitutionary death and rose from the dead, if you believe in him, he pulls you a million miles into glory. Okay? A hundred miles into death, a million miles into glory. That, that, that's, what, that's what the whole much more there is. We're, we're going to reign in life. Okay? Death reigned over us, but because of Jesus, we're going to reign. We're going to rule. We're going to be princes and kings. The Bible says that in life. He's showing you the much more of Jesus Christ. Okay, one more loose end. Last week I left a couple loose ends and, and I had some folks tell me, you could have saved a lot of trouble if you just, just tied those up, okay? So let me tie up one more, okay? Here's where a lot of people have taken this passage and they've, they've gone the wrong direction, okay? Verse 15. It's the word many, Okay? But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many, you follow me? Many, if many died. Who's the many there? All of humanity, right? If many died through the one man's trespass, much more having the grace of God and the free gift of the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now, some folks have tried to say those many's are the same, okay? So in other words... Adam dumps everybody off into sin, death, and the grave. Jesus takes everyone up. That's called universalism. Have you ever heard of it before? It's, this, it's, this, it's a theory. It's completely unbiblical. It's a theory that everybody's going to be saved. That, yeah, hey, don't worry about anything. Jesus died on the cross, and so everybody's going to be saved. It's completely against everything Paul has said, hadn't he? Romans 4 was all put your faith in Christ. Only those who are of faith are, have Jesus' righteousness, okay? But let me show you, even in this passage, I can show you that that's not true, okay? Look at verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who, are you seeing what I'm reading? Those who what? Receive the abundance of grace. Who's the many who are pulled to glory? Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The many who are pulled up are those who are joined by faith to Jesus Christ. Okay, Every one of you 
had a shackle on your, your leg. That's the way I think of it. It's my metaphor. You had a shackle on you, and it was connected to Adam, and he pulled you into the grave, okay? And you're spiraling down straight to hell, okay? The only way, the only way, the only way to reverse that is for you to be shackled to Jesus. How does that happen? By faith. Remember Romans 4? You know, Abraham believed and God counted it to him as righteousness, okay? And so when you have the shackle of faith in Jesus upon you, you're tethered to him forever and he brings you out of the grave, out of sin, out of death and into righteousness. That's the gospel. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you'd help us to believe. God, help us to have faith. God, help us to understand these, these deep theological things, God. And Father, we, uh, we shudder when we think about our original sin, when we think about how broken we are, when we think about how Adam has pulled us all off into death. But God, we rejoice at the glorious thought of Jesus pulling us to victory, pulling us into the glory of heaven with you as our king. Father, I pray that you give faith. Lord, that you'd help every ear to hear clearly the gospel this morning. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.